Morning, uh, morning, everybody. And uh, I don't know about you, but during the worship time, much as I've been enjoying God's amazing presence, I've also been struggling with somebody who's, got, who's very, very tall, standing in Adrian with his hands in the air as he touched their bottom. I, didn't, I was thinking, how does that work? But uh, Adrian did say he was standing like this, though, so we're all right. Um, Galatians 5 verse 22, if you have your Bibles, uh, you might like to turn to it. You may know it off by heart by now. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And we are in a uh, a series in Oasis Church entitled Fruit That Lasts. And week on week we've been looking at these different fruits of the Holy Spirit, which just to remind us, and to state the blindingly obvious, are fruits of God. Characteristics of God. The Holy Spirit is God. So fruits of the Holy Spirit are fruits of God. Characteristics of God. And the one that we're looking at today, and we've been singing about it a lot during worship, which is always encouraging, is faithfulness. The faithfulness of God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you approach the Bible with one of the sort of big Bible subjects in mind, whether it be love or hope or salvation or the Holy Spirit or power or whatever it is, sometimes when you come to the Bible and you you go to the the concordance in the back of your Bible, if you've got one, or you go to the the web Bible software that you can get online these days and you type in one of those words and you get like a ream of loads and loads of verses in the Bible, sometimes you think, man, this subject is so big, I've got no idea where to start with it. And, so, and you think, I, I, I'm not sure I can even tiptoe into exploring the whole deal. It's just overwhelming before I've even started. And faithfulness is a bit like that. Because every single page of the Bible pretty much has got something about the faithfulness of God in it. It's one of God's landmark characteristics, his faithfulness. And because it's one of God's landmark characteristics, I'd like to put it to us as believers and followers of Jesus that it should be one of ours as well. If we know God and love God and see God for who he is, then surely faithfulness should mark us and be one of the characteristics that people see in us. So we're going to look at faithfulness together today. And as we do, my prayer is that we'll spend a lot of time wallowing in God's faithfulness. We can get into our very psyche, our very spirits, the faithfulness of God and think, man, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. That's pretty exciting. And how's that going to affect me in my individual walk with him? So, the faithfulness of God. Starting with that statement, God is faithful. God is faithful. How do we know whether he is or not? I can say it, but is it true? Let's look at the Bible. If you've got your Bible, come up on the screen behind us. Exodus 34 verse 6. God says that he's faithful. I used this verse two or three weeks ago when I was preaching on patience. And I love this verse, and I said it then and I'll say it now. I love this verse because this is a verse where God announces to humankind across the ages who he is. And he said he's the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That is God's announcement of himself to humankind. An announcement that he made to Moses in the Bible, but an announcement that's gone down the ages. And you see all through the scriptures, the love of God and the faithfulness of God. So God says that he is faithful. He's abounding in faithfulness. And if God says it, who are we to argue with him? 
But you may not agree with that. You still, may still be here this morning thinking, well, God can say what he likes, but I don't agree with it. So how about we look at that and say, all right, God says that he is. What do other people think in the Bible? Why don't we start with Moses? Because let's face it, God has just told Moses in this glorious moment that he's faithful. So you might think that Moses would have a view on whether what God had said was true or not, wouldn't you? He'd be a good person to ask. Let's start with Moses. So why don't we, why don't we look at the, the dying words of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, verse 1 to 4? Now, we've got to bear in mind here that Moses has been on a journey in life, both with the Israelite nation, God commissioned him to, to lead them out of uh, Egypt into the wilderness for 40 years and onto the Promised Land, and there were lots of ventures along the way. So Moses has been on a journey that's been quite exciting in his life, and a journey with God as well. He's had many different moments where he's met the face of God, the Ten Commandments. He's done things right, in quotes. He's done things wrong, in quotes. There's been a, a real-life adventure that Moses has had in God. So what's Moses going to say at the end of his life about anything, and particularly about God? Well, there's a song in Deuteronomy 32, verse 1 to 4, that, that God has laid on his heart to want to say. And it's a song that looks back at Moses' life and also prophetically looks forward about what's going to happen to the Israelite nation should they behave in certain different ways towards God in the future days that lay ahead. It's a song. You can look at the whole song if you want to in your own time. But here are the first four verses. The verses that Moses most wanted to shape the whole of the rest of the song. What does it say? Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. What's he saying? He's saying, listen up, I've got something to say here. Listen, world, I'm about to make an announcement. What's he about to say? I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Moses, a song of praise as he ends his life, saying that God is great, God is wonderful, God is to be praised, God is a rock, and God is faithful and just. God told Moses that he was faithful, and Moses agreed. Let's wind the clock forward a little bit to the Psalms. The Psalms. The Psalms, as many of us I'm sure will know, are, are wonderful places to find real emotion expressed by real people that have been through real situations in life that have caused them to, on some occasions, deliver exuberant praise and worship to God, and on other occasions, through gritted teeth almost, with willful thrust, if that's the right word, proclaim the goodness of God nevertheless. I will proclaim the goodness of God. So the Psalms are a great place for us to gain encouragement from because they're about real people like we're real people and that's why a lot of people like to go to the Psalms. King David wrote a lot of the Psalms. King David had many highs and many lows in life. He was hugely successful, he was very popular, but there were mo moments where he was isolated, where he was alienated, where he actually committed adultery and murder. The huge highs and the huge lows of King David. What did King David, who wrote some of the Psalms, have to say about the faithfulness of God? Psalm 36, verse 5 and 6. We've sung it this morning. 
Your love, O Lord. doesn't say that in the psalm, but it's in the song. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the great deep. How I love you, Lord. I mean, I don't need the... I did that for Vince because he's not here today. <laughs> Vince, when you, when you listen online, I want you to get out of bed and start clapping, mate. A song of faithfulness from King David that reaches to the skies. Psalm 40, verse 9 and 10. Another psalm. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. King David saying that God is faithful. He agrees with God's proclamation. Another psalm that we uh, heard this morning, although you may not know this is the case, is Psalm 89. Not all the psalms were written by King David. Some of them were written by other songwriters that were around in David's day. We have them today. We had them then. And Psalm 89 is written by a guy called Ethan the Ezraite. Yes, he sounds like a wizened old gentlemen that sort of young travelers in hobbit territory would go and visit on their fantasy adventure to say well where should we go what should we do and Ethan the Ezraite speaks young children yonder I see a mountain henceforth anyway I'm just trying to get you to remember that Psalm 89 is written by Ethan the Ezraite but it was written against the backdrop of the downfall of David's reign it was written against the backdrop of the downfall of David's reign, the downfall of a rule and reign that has been largely and amazingly successful. It was a bitter shock to those that experienced it at the time that this was happening. A bitter shock. It was pulling the carpet from underneath the Israelite nation's feet. And here's Ethan the Ezraite writing a psalm about what was going on. And what are we going to hear then? Are we going to hear some words that completely undermined the faithfulness and the love of God in this situation as things go horribly wrong? Oh no, we get completely the opposite. Psalm 89, Janie read it out this morning. Janie's my wife, if you don't know. We didn't collude on this. She just felt led by God to read out that psalm. God wants us to hear that this morning. Psalm 89. I will sing of thy love forever. I can do it again. It's another one, isn't it? I won't sing the whole of that song. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord. Your faithfulness, too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can, can, can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy one, he's feared. He's more awesome than all those who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. There's faithfulness all the way through this psalm. Faithfulness known through the generations. Faithfulness established in the heavens itself. Faithfulness seen on earth in the great assembly, the church. Faithfulness surrounding God. You can't go near God without catching the, the faithfulness of God that somehow surrounds him. Faithfulness that goes before God. 
As soon as you approach God, what's the first thing you hit? His faithfulness. It's a huge swirlpool of the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. And Ethan, the Ezraite, agrees. What about Jeremiah? Jeremiah is a prophet in the Bible. Old Testament prophet. One of the prophets of doom in the Bible. One of those people that God commissioned with a particularly enjoyable task of telling the Israelite people that doom and gloom was coming, that overthrow was coming, that their whole world was falling apart. Nice job. What did he have to say about faithfulness? You might expect with the type of message that Jeremiah had to deliver, a little bit like Ethan the Ezraite's observation about what was happening in his day, you might expect that he would be critical, he would be damning, he would be negative about God's involvement with people that he supposedly loved at a time when it was all going completely pear-shaped. And in his Lamentations, that's a book in the Bible, where he kind of meanders around this whole subject, we have this beautiful verse in Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 33. Sorry, 22 and 23 which says this, and it's famous. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The faithfulness of God, even in the hardest and most difficult of times. We can go to Jonah, not in my notes, but I was chatting to somebody on Friday about this, and I liked it. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah we know, don't we? was asked by God to go to Tarsus to save a city that actually hated him. And Jonah said, I'm not doing that, and ran in completely the opposite direction. And God went after him to say, no, I've got a work of mercy and grace that I want to do in that city, and you're the man. And that's the story of Joseph in about 30 seconds. Sorry, Jonah, thank you. Yeah, we can do Joseph in slightly longer, but we're not going to talk about Joseph this morning. God gets his man, he goes there, he does what... God asks him to do, and the city of Tarsus changes its heart. Nineveh, sorry. Do I, I don't know the Bible. <laughs> Just make it up as I go along. There was a guy called Robert in the Bible. <laughs> Robert chapter 3 verse 1, and he said, oh, how faithful the Lord is. <laughs> anyway, we've got Nineveh, and we've got Jonah, and not Joseph, and anyway, we've got, what we have got is the word of God. I'm about to read it. Can't get it wrong here. And Robert said... No, sorry. <laughs> Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. This is Jonah inexplicably being angry with God about the fact that he has saved Nineveh. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, this is what I said would happen when I was still at home. This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And he's basically quoting back there at God, although he doesn't use the word, that God is a faithful God. And he knew that God was a faithful God and he didn't like it. So Jonah disagreed with God, but the evidence was that God was faithful because what? He rescued the city of Nineveh from their sins. So you've got Moses, you've got David, you've got Ethan, you've got Jonah, you've got Jeremiah, and you've got Robert. And they all agree, and you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? <laughs> and they all agree that God is faithful. Do we agree it? Is it going into us? 
These should be words that go deep into our very being, thinking, man, this is quite exciting. We have a faithful God that through the generations says he's, gen- he says he's faithful, and people in their lives who experience his involvement in their life think, yeah, he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. So that's some people in the Bible proclaiming the faithfulness of God. What about some other ways of exploring the faithfulness of God? Can we do it? Yes, we can. Here are some what I'm calling theologies, briefly, that underline the faithfulness of God. As I bring these, let it be said that there are huge gaps in what I'm bringing as well, because what I've said already is that the faithfulness of God is absolutely massive. So if you're sitting in your seat, particularly hoping that I'm going to speak about one particular element of God's faithfulness that you don't hear, then forgive me for that one. I'm bringing the ones that I want to bring this morning out of the book, and it's the last time I use this joke, of Robert. That's why you don't carry on a joke that doesn't work. (laughs) Anyway, benefits promised and delivered. Here's the first one, and it's a no-brainer. God is faithful in committed love. That's what faithfulness is. Love that goes on and on and on and on, never lets go. We sang it this morning. Your love never fails, it never lets go. Your love never fails, it never lets go. Your love never fails, it never lets go. Isn't that the faithfulness of God? Is it a song that we just sing that's in the psalm somewhere? I don't know, I couldn't find that one. But what I did find is Matthew 28, verse 20. It's the Great Commission. Now, we know the Great Commission is Jesus sending his disciples out to say, look, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and, surely, uh, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. We know that's an instruction given to the disciples at that point. It's also a commission that applies to us today. But then what does he say? He then says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A promise for all of us for all time. Surely, this is serious, listen up. With you always, every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year in your life, Jesus is with you. To the end of the age. A promise that applies for all people for all time. Isn't that the faithfulness of God in committed love? I think it is. Know the love of God. It's faithful. He's there for us. Receive it. Receive it today. You may need to receive it. We're going to pray for people at the end. Thank God for it. The faithfulness of God. So that's the first one. Next one, slightly more controversial perhaps, but I think encouraging. Faithfulness in deliverance from temptation. Faithfulness from deliverance in temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is with us every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year of our lives. Because we've just seen that because he's committed to us in love. And that includes those minutes, hours, days or moments in your life where you're feeling tempted, tempted to fall. God is with you in that moment, in his faithful love. He's with you. But in those moments, he's there to provide a way out for us. He's not going to tempt us beyond what we can bear, even though sometimes we think, That's the case. But he will always provide a way out for us. Next time you're struggling with something, look for the way out. Because God is faithful and he says that he will provide you a way out. 
if we can believe the faithfulness of God in everything that we've heard so far, and I think we can, then we can believe this one as well. When we're being tempted, God is faithful to give us a way out. He is not an absent friend in those moments. He is a faithful father that wants to lead us out of the situation that we're in. Faithfulness in deliverance from temptation. Next one, faithfulness in the forgiveness of sins. Here's the rub. God is with us every minute of every hour, of every day, of our lives, etc., etc., because his faithful love says that it is. He's, in the, in, he's with us in those moments of temptation that we're going to have. He won't tempt us beyond what we can bear, and he always provides a way out. What happens then when we mess up and we choose to go our way and not take the escape route that God has given to us? We sin. We fall short of God in those moments in time. Can we therefore rightfully expect some holy, righteous wrath and anger from God to completely wipe us out? An angry father that condemns us and takes us down because we haven't taken the opportunity of escaping from the temptation and we've fallen to sin. God is faithful in forgiving sins. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. That's kind. Even when we mess up, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, does that mean that I can disobey God, disregard God, dishonor God, and just do what I like, and as long as I tiptoe back to him and say, sorry, God, I messed up there, carry on living exactly how I want to, and receive forgiveness for my sins in a kind of ongoing sausage machine-type mentality? Is that how it works? Because that seems to be what the verse is saying. If we confess our sins to God... God is faithful and just and forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So what I need to do is confess and it's sorted, isn't it? What do you think? Is that how it works? I think occasional lip service to God when you don't really mean it isn't really what God's looking for. Because it demonstrates that we're more interested in just appeasing our conscience, if you like, rather than coming to God, to one that, who loves us so amazingly, in knowledge of the fact that we're upsetting him, hurting him, breaking him, in knowledge of the fact that we're doing things that he abhors more than we can ever abhor, if we come to God with a glib, oh, it doesn't really matter, sorry God, I'll do it again, that's not what this verse is saying. We've got to come broken before God, with humble hearts looking to receive grace and mercy, bowed low to receive the faithful forgiveness that is available to us. How do we receive the faithful forgiveness? Other than confessing our sin, we we receive it through Jesus. Jesus is the one through whom forgiveness is made faithful. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one, according to Hebrews 1 verse 3, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. And as much as we've been looking at the faithfulness of God, we can move across to the faithfulness of Jesus and get blown away by that as well. And where was Jesus particularly and most evidently faithful? By heading with steel-like determination for the cross, his passion. And at Easter time, as we look forward to it, we know that Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross. He was faithful to do that. And he was faithful to do that because I'll tell you, he had plenty of opportunities not to. 
He had plenty of opportunities to take his eye off the cross and be taken down, but he didn't ever lose sight. He went to the cross, he died on the cross, he rose again from the dead. How do we know he had opportunities to be taken out? Temptation in the wilderness. Shortly after Jesus was baptized, what happened? He went to a prayer and fasting feast. Contradiction of terms. For 40 days. And at the end of that time, Satan came to tempt him, didn't he? And what did he try and do? He said, well, yes, change the stones into bread. Why don't you do that? Because you're hungry, aren't you? You know you can do that. And then he said, look, show me a miracle. Jump off the temple and your angels will save you. Do that. He said, give up your authority. Worship me. Why don't you do that? And he's trying to get Jesus to lay down his authority and get his eye off the cross at a very early stage. He failed. Jesus used the word of God to bounce it away because there's always a way out when you're tempted. What about Jesus and Peter? In Matthew 16, verse 16, Peter makes the declaration to Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a great moment for Peter. One of the disciples sees who Jesus is and declares him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and it's a moment of euphoria. Peter's probably thinking, you see, I know. Peter's like that, wasn't he? I know who Jesus is and I've declared it. Peter says, great, well done, but don't go spreading the news. Just a few uh, verses later, When Jesus starts to talk about going to Jerusalem and suffering and being at the hands of the high priest and the the chief priest and the the, the elders in the the law, suffering and then dying and rising again from the dead, Peter says, you're not going to do that. You are not going to do that, Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me and do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. Get behind me, Satan. I was uh, praying for a group of children one day in a kid's work that was, wasn't part of this church. And I asked a group of kids if there's anything they'd like me to pray for. And one of the little girls said they, they'd like me to pray for her grandma. And also what the grandma's name was, can't remember what it was, so we prayed for the grandma. Another little boy piped up and said, I'd like you to pray for my dog, because he's ill. I don't know what you think about praying for animals. But I thought, it's children, you can pray for anything. I said, what's the name of your dog? He said, Satan. It's one thing praying for a dog called Satan. It's another thing being called Satan by Jesus himself. But Jesus did it because he knew this was an opportunity Satan was trying to take to completely throw Jesus off from going to Jerusalem and dying on the cross. Jesus, as I've already alluded to, set his face like flint and said, I'm going. I am going to Jerusalem. I am not going to put down my high calling. And then you've got the Garden of Gethsemane, and we know it, don't we? I'll lead up to Easter. The Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is literally wrestling in torment, sweating drops of blood as he contemplates the horror of what lies ahead. He's somehow beginning to see the cup with all the sin in it and the dirt and muck and horror that's in there. And he's thinking, I don't know if I can do this. Whispers of torment, as depicted in the film The Passion. Can I go through with this? Can I go through with this? Can I go through with this? And all all the time saying, not my will, but yours, Father. An opportunity to be taken off the scent. He was faithful to go to the cross. And it's a good job he was, isn't it? Because in faithfully dying on the cross, and in wonderfully raising again from the dead, that's how why we, with our humble hearts and our contrite hearts, our penitent hearts, as it says in one of the Indiana Jones movies, you need to watch it and look out for it now. 
when we come to Jesus, bowed down low, we know that he's died for our sins and takes the holy wrath, the holy anger, upon Jesus that God had put on him and gives us those clothes, those, clothes, those robes of righteousness that are so wonderful. That's how we can quote 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because through Jesus it's been made possible and that's the only way. Come to God and confess your sins thanking God for the death and resurrection of Jesus on the way because he was faithful. So Jesus is faithful. God is faithful. Faithfulness finally in Hebrews 10 verse 23 in our future. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. This is the future. The future with Jesus as the undisputed king of a, a renewed kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth. That's the hope that we're looking forward to. And it's not a hope that, oh, it might happen if we're lucky. It's an absolute cast iron dead certainty that that future hope will come. Why? Because what does the verse say? He who promised is faithful. Now this whole message is about the faithfulness of God. God himself says he's faithful. King David says he's faithful. Moses says he's faithful. Ethan says he's faithful. Jeremiah and Jonah says he's faithful. A whole lot of people through the Bible say God is faithful. You can have people saying he's faithful. You can look at the theologies of faithfulness. That God is committed in his faithful love to us. For all people, for all kind. I'll be with you surely to the end of the age. You've got deliverance from temptation and forgiveness from sins and a certain hope in the future. And all of a sudden you're thinking, it's true. One of the headline characteristics of God is the faithfulness of God. It's a landmark characteristic of God. And boy, isn't it good news. And therefore, what about our own faithfulness back? Not in a kind of legal exchange type way, but if we're in Christ, then the faithfulness of Christ should come out of us just as it comes out of God, because it's innate in God. Apples in a tree grow because they're in the tree. I know, simple but true. And if we're in Christ then the faithfulness of God should come out of us as a fruit of the Holy Spirit for all to see and for all to wonder at. We should be rock solid, secure in the faithfulness that we offer to other people. What is it? I'm not going to tell you today. I could do, but I'm not going to. I've got some practical things that I could share with us all and some more encouragements about the heroes of faith in the Bible who were faithful themselves. You only have to read Hebrews. I almost want to watch, I'm not going to read it, but Hebrews 11, the end of, the 32 to 39. If you get time to read it at home, go and read it. Basically, there's one person in there or people that get cut in half because they're so convinced that God is faithful. Is that something you could take today? Cut me in half. I don't care. God's faithful. An exciting challenge, perhaps, for some of us. But what I thought today, when we were praying earlier, I think there was a sense that we want, we want to get it in us. We want to get in. Look, God is faithful. And if we are feeling broken today or we're feeling misunderstood or lonely or on the edges of things someone gave me a word during worship that uh, it's a bit negative really but it's, it's, it's people here might feel disgusting or that they don't feel fit in and God wants to say you're not disgusting you're beautiful you're lovely and you do fit in and God wants to meet people today that are feeling broken estranged from his love and we want to we'd love to pray for those people at the end and the people that are going to pray for those people that are feeling like they need an injection of God's faithfulness and his love are those that are going to be faithful to those that are going to pray, if that makes sense. 
we can faithfully stand alongside people that need a word of encouragement and a word of support. It could be that you're not a believer in Jesus here today, that all that stuff about the cross and all the stuff about the faithfulness of God, you just think it's complete nonsense. I'd encourage you to talk to your friend, come and talk to me. Ask yourself the question, where else in life do you see this kind of consistent faithfulness and love that is available other than in God? And hopefully you will see it in your Christian friend that brought you today. Because as I've said in other weeks, these fruits are fruits that we should be evidencing to others in order to draw people into the presence of God. To get into a conversation with them about that. For now, we're going to sing one final hymn. And it's, Great is your faithfulness.